0: I'm Daisy and I'm Terry and this is the Monday Mindset Podcast where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 97 and this week Terry's back with the second part of her episode she started a couple of weeks ago. Or about an hour ago. <laughs> as we <laughs> as we are recording in real time. So <laughs> Or many weeks ago when we talk about the
1: fact that we already recorded this once and lost it.
0: Although we haven't recorded the second part yet. So this is all fresh to me. That's right. This is new to everyone. So what have you got for us today, Terry?
1: So this is, again, it's from an episode of The School of Greatness with Lewis Howes, one of my favorite podcasts, and it's The Secret to Avoiding Burnout and Reshaping Your Identity with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And I bring up the title again because the first part, I didn't talk anything about burnout. And this second part is where we talk some about burnout. Mm -hmm. And again, some other concepts that I think are really important. So if you remember last time we were talking about the gap in the gain, where you're measuring yourself in the gap- looking at what you have not yet done, what you've not accomplished, how you don't compare or don't measure up versus the gain. How have you grown? How have you progressed? What steps have you taken? I've talked a lot about past, current and future self. I'm sure all of these things are are familiar to you. So, one of the things when he's moved into talking a little bit more about burnout, he got to some other topics on the way there. But one of the things he said that many of us need to do is we have to learn to start thinking in the who, not the how. And he said, when we are how thinkers, we're focused on the how, the goal is how do I do that? And we're trained to think that it all has to be on us. So if, Daisy, if you say, I'm going to write a book, you have to start thinking like, okay, how am I going to write the book? Well, how will I do this part? And how will I create a cover? And how you just really get bogged down in these hows. And oftentimes, that's really demotivating for us. Mm -hmm. It's not generally where most of us do our best. But instead, to move over to the who. Who is about focusing on who can help me do that or can do it for me? Like, do I need an assistant who can do parts of this or who can I collaborate with on this? So for example, you decided you wanted to do another podcast. You didn't say, how am I going to do that? You said, who? I know, Terry. So you move to the who, not the how. And Sometimes when people think of the who, as he was talking about it, they get bogged down with, it might mean I have to hire someone. Therefore, it's a cost. It's um, a negative. It's a deficit for me. He said instead, it's really important to think of the who not as a cost, but as an investment in the future and even current self. How much better could I do what I'm doing if... There's someone else helping to do the parts that aren't my strengths. So even if that costs me some money, it advances me in whatever I'm doing. That's an investment, not a cost. So he talks quite a bit about those concepts.
0: I think that that's a tricky one that it's easy to get bogged down in, Mm -hmm. especially when you're thinking in the business type mindset and development if you're struggling from the financial side, and this is something I've always thought about, you just rule out, well, I can't afford to pay anybody else. Mm -hmm. So it's always in the how. Well, how do I do that? How do I learn how to do that? Mm -hmm. I can't afford to pay somebody else to do it. So I've got to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes so overwhelming because you've got this great long list of things that all of it you've got to do yourself and it just shuts you down.
1: Absolutely, the how gets overwhelming and usually kind of stops us early. But I'm also aware based on our previous talks, and I won't go into a whole bunch of detail on this, but in that process you also thought about who's already done this that I can learn from? Mm. How did they do it? What of that can I learn to replicate? Who can I consult with? I've always really admired people because I'm not very good at doing this. They wanna learn something brand new They find the experts and they say, can I come follow you and learn from you? Can I set up a couple meetings with you? I struggle to ask that. But that's really focusing on the who. Again, it doesn't mean I have to hire someone, but it may mean who can help me develop in this? Are there resources I need to access? And if I'm in a position to have someone else do some of these tasks, great, So looking at what is the result I want and who can help me make that happen, I think is an important piece from that. Focusing on the how leads to procrastination for many of us because it becomes so daunting. Mm. From this, they moved into the concept of willpower. And I loved this part of the discussion because I often hear people talk about the reason they're not reaching certain goals or able to do certain things is because they're not someone that has much willpower. And the reality is willpower is just a really kind of crappy concept for most of us to rely on. And his point is willpower really doesn't work. Willpower is, if you really think about it, it's you trying to do the how. And it's like mustering up the strength, forcing yourself to do it. It's the pounding away at something. It's the white knuckling it. And He then talked about the idea, and I I know this concept, the way he said it, to me instantly made me bristle a little bit because I'm like, oh, careful. But he said, the environment always kind of wins out over willpower. And he talked about the importance of changing environment or situation. And I think about there are so many of us that are in environments or situations that work as barriers. And I don't ever want to say to someone, well, you just rise up above that and you know you can do great things. But if you really go back and think of anyone you've heard throughout history, anyone in your personal life or in your own personal experience, it is kind of figuring out what parts of the environment can I change? Even though I can't control everything, how can I utilize things differently? How can I access different things so it's important to to be able to look at and i'm going to use a very simple example and i know this doesn't go to like poverty or abuse or things like that but let's say in my personal life i say you know i'm really struggling with i spend way too much time on my phone so i'm going to stop spending so much time on my phone i'm going to stop doing so much social media just saying that i'm completely relying on willpower mm-hmm. how often will i pick up my phone How many messages will I respond to? But instead, I can change that situation. I can set my phone in airplane mode, Well, now I can't access it all the time. I've automatically given myself an opportunity to experience more success in what I'm doing. And one of the examples he shared is he has six kids. I think all of them were adopted and from problematic situations and he he uses this example in their situation in where they were you know where they were in life when he adopted them or whatever they couldn't have just suddenly done amazing things they were in an environment that prevented that the change that came is they're now in a different environment and now the doors have opened up for them and so just that idea of thinking about how can I influence my environmental factors? I may not be able to escape this environment right now. There may be reasons why I have to work with certain things in my situation or environment. How can I use them as effectively as possible until I can change them? And then again, on a less global scale or less significant scale in that way, In my daily life, if I'm struggling with goals, how can I change my environment or my situation? If I wanna eat better, I can't bring that problematic food in my house. Mm. I can't expect myself to do better with it when I've got it all sitting here in front of me, right? So looking at
0: that is important. Yeah, it comes back to the willpower thing, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, willpower is so fickle, isn't it? Willpower works great when it's working, Willpower tends not to work when you most need it. Yep. Those times when you're really at low ebb, when you could really use the power of willpower. Willpower only works when you're feeling it, when you're feeling pumped up. And it, you know, but it it just, it never works because it's never there when you really need it.
1: And the reality is for all of us, it's in finite supply. Mm. We've got some, but we can use it up. And then we have to replenish. And, you know, we kind of look at ourselves as if we should have unlimited willpower. I'm so weak. No, nope, you've made 4,812 decisions today. And these last three were pretty crappy. But the first 4,000, you know, those are pretty good. We look at willpower as if it should be enough to help us do the right thing and make the right yeah, decisions. Yeah,
0: failing if we can't muster enough of it.
1: Yep. And of course, once you start talking about this, you always have to talk about decision fatigue in that willpower is worn down every time you have to use it. So every decision I have to make about something, I'm using up a little bit of that willpower. And the more options that you're weighing, the more taxed your willpower will be. To help with that then, you have to cut off the alternative options and making the choice, making the decision. Now you're not taxing your willpower. But what many of us face is a lot of decision fatigue. We have to think about things. We have to be making so many decisions throughout the day, Mm -hmm. throughout one meeting, in one grocery store shopping experience. Yeah.
0: And social media was a great example that you used. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I learned a long time with switching almost all the notifications off Mm -hmm. because it's distracting, Mm -hmm. which reminds me, I'm, you know, I must get into the habit of just the email icon at the bottom quitting it so that it doesn't come up. Because if you're working on something and I'll have the whole screen filled with the video editing software, but it doesn't cover up those icons at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So if I haven't quit it, when there's a a mail has come in, it will come up in bright red with a number, you've got mail. Well, it's almost impossible to ignore that notification. You know, I learned ages ago to switch off sound notifications for Mm -hmm. Facebook or whatever because it is so difficult and it just that absolutely ties into the willpower thing doesn't it you know the first few times when you're really focused on the job you're supposed to be doing you can use willpower to Mm -hmm. ignore it but it will keep chipping away chipping away before you know it it's like well I can't I can't not go and have a look when that ping goes off or that little red dot jumps up yep but if you turn it off, that decision goes and you can lose yourself in what you're doing and you are completely forgotten. And when you've got a break, when you've got time to check, you turn it back on and you go through and you check the things and then you turn it back off again. That's right. If you haven't got to make that decision, it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. And I hear people talk about this with their eating decisions. They wake up in the morning with the best intention. I'm going to eat healthy mm. food or I'm going to fast or whatever. And the first 20 times they have to decide about that, that day, they do pretty well. But by about decision number 48, (laughs) that willpower is wearing pretty thin. He quoted someone, Clayton Christensen, and this is a concept that I've always said, but I just liked having the little quote, 100% commitment is easier than 98% commitment. The idea that kind of like when we're torn between options, we're not fully committed yet. So I go back to when I first started the whole 30 approach to eating. I did not have to decide how many cookies, which flavor of cookies, should I have cookies today or should I wait until tomorrow? Should I eat all of them today or should I only eat half today and half tomorrow? No cookies. (laughs) There was no decision to be made because (laughs) I was 100% committed to there are no cookies. So 100% is easier than 98%. And Being torn between options uses up willpower and energy. It uses up brain power. And this is where I love this because it goes back to the identity piece. You and I have talked about this in other podcasts. We've talked about it in this previous episode. But if you still see yourself as someone who does that behavior, you'll have a harder time committing to doing the so-called right behavior this time. So let's say, for example, I am working on quitting smoking, and if I commit to I'm a non-smoker, as you see yourself as someone who no longer has that identity, you create the environment, and you're more committed, and that drives your new behaviors. But if I'm still committed to I'm a smoker, but I'm doing less of it. Oh, there's all the shades of gray. Mm. I have to decide each time, am I a smoker right now or should I not do it right now? And that just makes it so much more complex, uses up so much more brain power. The 100% commitment, the change in identity. And you and I have said this 100 times. If I'm a vegan, I don't have to decide if today's the day I eat bacon. Because my identity is I am vegan
0: very clear. But it also ties in what you were saying about environment also makes me think of James Clear and his concept of friction, mm-hmm. adding friction or reducing friction when it comes to habits. And when you use that example of smoking, that's that's just such a perfect one. And I can remember, I think it was my sister who was trying to give up smoking and it happened at the same time, it happened that that's when they brought in the restrictions in pubs in the UK that you were no longer allowed to smoke in pubs. I think it was when she was working in a pub. And for anyone who's who's been a smoker, it was the same for me. I can remember back in the day, also worked in a pub, also was a smoker and you could smoke it there and it was part of the environment and you almost you couldn't imagine going into a pub and it not being a smoky environment. And it made it so much easier for a lot of smokers to give up when they could no longer smoke in restaurants, in cinemas, on the aeroplane. I mean, can you, it beggars belief actually now that you could ever smoke on an (laughs) aeroplane. I can remember back in the day, you know, flying out to see my father in Thailand. I was in a no smoking seat and the person behind me was uh, in the smoking seat. And it's Well, how does that work? Oh. You know, I remember in the, in the cinema, one half was smoking, one half was non-smoking. It started, you could see the smoke coming up and of course it just all mixes up. But you know, a great example of adding friction. Once you're no longer, the environment changes, you're no longer allowed to smoke in all of those places. And it just makes it that bit harder to smoke. You know, you've got to go outside, Mm -hmm. you've got to go to a designated smoking place, whatever it is. And the number of people, well, that's just too much effort now. Mm -hmm. At the very least, it will cut down the amount you do it, Mm -hmm. which makes it that bit easier to give up if that's what you're wanting to do and go from being a smoker to being a non-smoker.
1: Absolutely. And I think of, you know, my identity as far as how I eat makes it pretty easy when I go into a restaurant. I know which parts of the menu fit my identity as being someone who eats low carb. Mm. I don't look at the pasta section. It doesn't fit for me. So having that clear identity helps filter out a lot of unnecessary options. So I just, I really loved this, you know, talk because again, it's something that you and I have talked about. It's something I talk about a lot in my work Making your identity clearer on these things drives the behavior Mm -hmm. to be congruent more so. He then got a little more into actual burnout. And he said, you know, oftentimes burnout may be contributed to by decision fatigue or that you're spending a lot of time on things you don't really want to be doing or love to be doing. So if you think about burnout in your work, you know, is it the whole idea of what you do? Is it the environment? Or is it you're doing many tasks in your day that really just aren't things that you want to be doing? Maybe it means that you don't really feel like you're moving toward the future self that you are creating, investing toward your future self. Maybe what you're doing isn't taking you toward that. And that could be a factor in burnout. Again, kind of talking about the approach avoid motivation. He also talked about it in terms of pull kind of being pulled toward something is easier than push motivation. Moving towards something that pulls you toward it is easier than pushing away from things that you want to avoid. So pull motivation, I thought was an interesting concept.
0: Well, it ties back in with the whole attraction thing, doesn't
1: it? Also talked about ways to kind of help with burnout. Take time to measure your gains. Be in that. Gain perspective as you're assessing, appreciate various aspects in your life versus I'm not where I should be. You know, he can say, look, I've got these six kids and I've written a book. I've written three books. I've done this. Appreciate the things that you have. Appreciate your colleagues, um, relationships, nature, animals, whatever it is so that you're not only focused on measuring yourself from where you should be. Focusing on the who, not the how, he said, can help with burnout. If you're doing things that are kind of sucking the energy out of you, maybe you need a who who can help do those things so that you can focus your energy on the things that you enjoy more. And I think many talks you and I listen to are often entrepreneur-focused. And I think this is really true for entrepreneurs, but maybe even within a family. If you're feeling really burned out in your family and you're the one that's doing 20 loads of laundry a week, maybe you need to reallocate who's doing what so that people are doing what they, you know, if they have 10 chores that need to be done in the family, are there two of them that you don't mind doing and two of them that just, you know, are like, again, soul sucking for Mm. you? Well, let's work on reallocating those. And then he talked about the idea that from kind of social psychology, they talk about maybe that you need more active recovery from work. A lot of us do work and then we keep kind of living out work. It's like almost like you never get a break and really focusing on having some activities outside of work that bring you more into that flow state, get you out of that grind kind of mode, and that that can actually... Influence you in your work environment if you get those breaks and you get to be in that other state. Talked about it as kind of needing to take some time fully detached. And they call it psychological detachment from work. And many of us um, nowadays don't do that enough. And that leads to more burnout. And then lastly, talked about the idea that burnout can also be tied to feeling like you aren't making a lot of progress but you're putting a lot of energy into something and that can feel out of balance for us and help us feel, you know, like we're really burning out. Focusing again on shorter goals and measuring the gain can help with that. Deadlines can help with measuring shorter gains rather than just going on and on and help you see that you're moving forward. And again, success moving forward, little steps, Help us to feel more motivated again. And then kind of wrapping up, they talked about, you know, uh, Lewis Howes asked him, well, you know, what are your challenges? And he said, I probably live in the gap too much. I still am looking at what I should have done by now, what I haven't accomplished yet. And so even someone who writes about this concept still Mm -hmm. struggles with it, I think is important. So we talked again about recognizing the gains and living your life, stopping the focus on trying to get there instead of being here, acknowledge the positive things going on now, the progress, the gains, getting out of that mindset that life is gonna be good when I get there or accomplish that. Well, the idea that looking at getting there, I think sometimes people hear this wrong and I know I sometimes hear it wrong or I say it in a way that other people hear it wrong. It doesn't mean we shouldn't want things to be different. We want to keep growing, we want to keep evolving and changing, but there's a difference between wanting that and needing that in order to feel good or mm. to feel successful. That's the piece that he really highlighted. And he loves this quote, and I, it really made me stop and think, we're kept from our goal, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to lesser goals.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Path of least resistance.
1: Yeah. And he said that lesser goals may have been things that your former self would do and needed to do, but your future self wouldn't. Mm. And so really just kind of, I just like, I had to listen to that quote several times. It's not just that there are obstacles getting in my way of my goals, but it's, I'm finding a clear path to things that aren't really my goals. Maybe they were in the past, but now they're short-sighted or now they're just relief and I let that be enough. That was the end of the interview and just really made me think about that concept of why do I struggle getting to some of my goals and am I accepting a quicker, clearer path to lesser
0: goals? Yes, the other thing I thought about with burnout and some of the Difficulties that come out of that. Something that struck me, and you did talk about this, but you don't tend to get burnout when you're passionate about something. We've talked about this using the word passion and drive. If if you're doing something you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like hard work. It's not something that you're likely to experience burnout with because the two just don't really go together. But it tends to be when you're in that, when you were saying it's decision fatigue, it's doing things that you really don't want to do, maybe not comfortable in doing, makes me think about something that I didn't really bring in from the podcast episode that I was listening to, but the the whole concept of fear when you're working in an environment mm-hmm. that uses fear-based motivation, very demeaning, very, you know, you're likely to feel burnout in these kind of jobs where you feel stuck. You feel taken for granted, taken advantage of, can't see a way out of it. Maybe that fear-based motivation is coming into it, and you're just you're drained and you're burnt out. Mm-hmm. But it made me think, yes, the easy solution is to change the environment to get out of that job. But of course, that's often, more often than not, easier said than done. So how do you fix that? You know, I had this in my mind as you were saying that, you know, always thinking of the. but what about the people who experience this? Mm-hmm. What do we do when we can't get out of it and we're stuck with this burnout? So I liked what you said about the importance of active recovery, that maybe there isn't a way out of this either burnout that you're experiencing or on the brink of experiencing a job that you're not happy in, that you can't get out of now. That's not to say that you won't be able to at some point or you won't be able to, either you are able to change it so that you're not experiencing that or some other external change will happen to make it better for you. But instead to focus on active recovery And I wrote down, uh, you know, recharge, refuel gives you that Mm -hmm. energy that you need to see you through, to help you through it so that you don't burn out.
1: Absolutely. And you, as you were describing this, reminded me of something. When you are in a situation that you can't really change, and I know there'd be people who could argue you can always change a situation, but I believe you can also change how you approach the parts that you can't change. And so especially when I think of burnout, burnout for me also is about repetitive monotony. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the same exact thing. And I get so burned out on this because it's it's just no growth. It's no creativity. It's nothing. Okay. So you can change that part. Even if the task at work isn't going to change how you think about it, how you approach it. And I'm going to use this example um, because I love to have examples, but sometimes I know they're just kind of weird, Terry experiences. But in high school, I had a math teacher who was very, very dry. (laughs) And I really was not an avid math student. And getting through his class was really hard. And he was one that we had at least two years. So I had to figure out a way to be okay in his class because I had to get through it. And I wasn't a kid normally who got in trouble. So I was like, oh, I couldn't like just get kicked out or something. I actually had to stay in there. But how? So one, of course, I was always doodling. I probably had the most weird little characters on every (laughs) paper of schoolwork imaginable. But in his class, because he was so dry, I kept track of how many times he said a specific phrase because he repeated it often. And the phrase was, from this standpoint, Now, I don't know how he worked that into every sentence in a math class, but he did. And so I, at the end of the class, would turn to my friends and say, 43. They're like, what are you talking about? He said it 43 times today. 17. (laughs) 17 times today. And so I had something else I was focusing on to get through that class. Now, was that the most mature way? Was that a nice thing to be doing? Probably not but it was a way I could change my experience Mm -hmm. in an environment that was really stifling to me, that was definitely burnout type situation. I found a way to make it kind of tolerable. Now, fortunately, I also got to get out of there and do restorative things, (laughs) but even just changing how you approach it, how you think about the task, can make a big difference when it's a situation you don't feel that you have any power to actually change on the outside.
0: Yes, because I have to say that the group of people that came to my mind were health workers, well, I mean, all sorts of workers, but in particular, I guess, especially at the beginning, were, you know, the doctors and the nurses during COVID who so overworked, so much pressure, you know and i think particularly when they felt that the the start i guess there was the public support when they felt that they weren't getting the support they needed from the public you think these things that sort of just rescue you from burnout just sort of fall away mm-hmm. and how do you avoid burnout in a situation like that that there feels like there's no way out of mm-hmm. and that's that's the kind of the kind of people I was thinking of when I, you know, latched onto this lifeline of active recovery, how important it has to be sometimes to find something else to give you the strength to see you through things that you have to do.
1: And it's interesting because one of the examples I was thinking about that is something that might be dismissed as leisure, might be dismissed as indulgence you know, let's say someone's working really hard and then they take a half day off work and they go golfing. That's active recovery. Mm. You're not on the golf course thinking about 23 business decisions and, you know, what task you're going to do next. You're free and you're in a different state of being. Now, unless you go with all your work colleagues and you keep talking about work the whole time while you're there, that might feel different, but having a hobby doing a craft playing in a band you know leaving work behind and going to rehearsal or doing a gig on Saturday night like so many ways we can do active recovery that I think would be really helpful for all of us to have some of those built into
0: our lives well and I've heard so many people and seen it in action with the whole sea swimming thing Mm -hmm. you know so many people that's a release from them and we've talked about it ad infinitum but all the other things that come into play you know the fresh air Mm -hmm. and the the cold and the dopamine and the this and the that it doesn't have to be big things it can Mm -hmm. be quite small things that fit in but so many people that I see down at the beach and have heard stories of, yeah, that's that's been their active recovery. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be something that costs money, takes a lot of time. That's right. And something else I think that's a benefit
1: of it, it becomes part of your identity. Mm. I'm someone who does this. Yeah. I know other people who do it. I'm part of a community. I can join other people. I can do it solo, but I can join mm. other people. So much of that helps with burnout, to be connecting with people outside of work and to be connecting with people that you share some
0: commonality with, an
1: interest, a
0: value, a hobby. Yes, and also connecting with nature, connecting with something infinitely bigger than yourself, but that tapping into, Mm -hmm. well, the energy of mother earth, I guess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, this has been two weeks of a lot of stuff coming at you from this episode. I think it's an episode worth listening to. I think you would enjoy it, Daisy, and I think some listeners may enjoy it as well. Hopefully I've been able to give enough of the main points that you can kind of benefit from it, but I invite anyone to go back and listen if they're interested and I hope everyone has a great week.
0: Yes, it's definitely one that I'm going to be listening to. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Have a wonderful week.
1: Bye, everybody.